You're listening to The Fervent Life with Rhea Briscoe, an extension of Snowdrop Ministries. Please stay tuned as Rhea shares her heart with you and challenges you to go deeper with God. For more information on Snowdrop Ministries or Rhea Briscoe, please visit our website at www.snowdropministries.com. Let's join Rhea now as the teaching begins. If you have your Bibles, you can open them to Luke chapter 2, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Luke chapter 2. Many of you have heard me tell this story before. We have seven children, and um, our youngest, Kendall, is is a spitfire. She is her mama's daughter. And um, you've heard me tell you the story about how she, when she was little, probably two or three, she's just fiercely, even to this day, she's fiercely independent. And um, and when she was two or three, she always wanted to zip her own coat and tie her own shoes. And, you know, there, there are some rules when you're a pastor's wife that you don't break. And one of them is you don't ever want to be late for church. And you especially don't want to be late for church when you have seven children tagging behind you. You just you can't quite slip in and slip out unnoticed. And, and we were late every Sunday to church. And I would like to tell you that it was because of my teenage daughters, but really it was because of Kendall Karras. Because I, I would say, okay, kids, let's get your coats and, and it's time to go. And Kendall would grab her coat and her shoes and she would say, I do myself, Mama. And then she would, she would duck under the table, and I'd say, no, 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 today Mama's going to do it for you because we're late for church. You can do it yourself this afternoon. And she'd duck under the table, and I'd send one of the kids in after her, and she'd duck out the other side and run up to the bedroom, and she'd lock her bedroom door, and from the inside she'd holler out, Mama, I'd be right out. I do myself. <laughs> and I would plead with her to please come out, and not today, Kenny. Mommy wants to do it for you. I do myself. And I will tell you, I can't even tell you the number of times I stood on the other side of that door and I heard the Lord say, Rhea, do you hear her? She sounds just like you. I do myself, Lord. I got this one together. I do myself. I'll call you if I need you. And, and just like little Kendall, she would come out that door eventually with her coat still unzipped and her shoes still untied because at two or three years old, she could not do it herself. And can I just tell you what? I have tried to do it myself. I've tried to fix myself. I've tried to take good care of myself, and I I just can't do it. I I, I want God to, I do myself, Lord, but, but really he has to do it for me. Who knows? He has to do it for us. I love the story of the woman with the issue of blood. The Bible says that she was bleeding. She was hemorrhaging for 12 years and that she had spent everything she had trying to get better. She had gone from doctor to doctor and instead of getting better, the Bible says, she only grew worse. And isn't that what it's like when we try to fix ourselves? when we try to do it ourselves? will only get worse. And, and, and I want to just tell you that the reason that that baby came in a manger on Christmas morning was because we can't do it ourselves. God knew that. He knew that he had to come and do it for us. And so he humbled himself and he left the royal diadem to become one of us. You say, well, Rhea, why, why did he have to become one of us? I heard Billy Graham tell a story a number of years ago, and, and he said, I want you to imagine for a moment that you're a creator. I, I know that that's hard for you, but put yourself in the place of God and imagine that you are a creator. 
and you have created ants. And you know how small ants are compared to you. And, and, and Billy said, you know, I want you to think that you're the creator of ants and you love your ants and, and you want the best for your ants and, and, and you don't want to see them get harmed in any way. And, and you just give everything you have to your ants and you're watching them all the time. And, and then you see one day that they're in great danger. And, and they're going to die, and, and you see them walking right into the danger, and, and you think to yourself, how am I going to tell them that they're in danger? Because if I stand up here, and, and, and as big as I am, if I motion to them, they're not going to see me, because I'm so big, and, and they're so small, and, and if I try to yell down to them, watch out, you're in trouble, I don't communicate the same way that they communicate, and they're not going to understand me. If I put my hand down to try to block them from going into danger, they're probably so stubborn that they're going to walk right up over my hand and, and right into danger. And if I try to put my hand down to pick them up, my hand is so big and they're so small, I probably will hurt them. And so what could I do? And, and Billy Graham said, you know, that was the dilemma that God was in. And, and so the only solution that we would have as creators would be to become one of them so that we could communicate the same way they could, so that we could be on their level, so that we could go down and say, hey, you're in danger, but I know the way out. Follow me. And can I just tell you that that baby born in Bethlehem was born to die? He was born because we were in danger and we didn't know the way out. We, he was born because we wanted to do it ourselves. We wanted to fix ourselves, but we could not. And so that baby in the manger came to say, hey, you're in danger. And I know the way out. Follow me. And that's what I want to talk to you about tonight. Would you just pray with me first? Oh, Father God, I thank you that when I'm weak, you're strong. And I'm asking you, Lord, to be strong in this place tonight. I'm asking you, Father, you who know every person in this room by name. Lord, they just think they're another person, but you want them to know that you know them by name. You design them. You knit them together in their mama's womb. You created them. And Father, you, you know their needs, you know every fear they have, every apprehension, every anxiety, every thought that they have, even about you. And Lord God, I pray that you who know them best would so tailor this message, Father, that it would speak directly to their hearts and their minds. Thank you, Lord, that where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty, there is freedom. And I pray, Lord God, for the freedom of God in this place. I, I pray, Lord, that you would open up ears to hear and hearts to receive your word. Lord, I pray for hearts of stone that are present here tonight. Lord, I pray that you turn them to hearts of flesh. I pray for blinded eyes in this place tonight, that the scales would fall and that they would have recovery of sight, that they would see their need of you. Lord, I, I pray that ears would be unstopped and ears that are listening to the voices of this world and the voices of enemies, of the enemy, Lord God, that those, that those voices would be silenced and that tonight they would hear the voice of the lover of their soul beckoning them close. Father, I pray that you'd have your way. Lord, I pray that, that, that your words would be on my lips, that, that, that your, this message, Lord, would not be received as the words of man, but as the very words of God. Lord, I pray that you'd help me to fearlessly proclaim your word. 
that I would be bold and confident, and that I would preach with great authority. Lord, you say that there's an anointing that breaks every yoke. Father, I'm asking, I'm asking that you, you, you say that we, we don't receive because we ask not. And so, Lord, I'm asking for the anointing that breaks every yoke to be upon me. I thank you that it's not by might and it's not by power, but it's by your spirit. And so, Father, we pray that you would have your way in this place and that you would move powerfully among your people. We love you, Lord, and we give you praise and honor and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Luke chapter 2, familiar Christmas story. I, I remember when I was looking at what to teach for Christmas, I said to Dave, how can you teach the Christmas message that's been taught every way there is to teach? People have heard it all their life. How can you teach it any differently? And so I just want you to know that, that you don't need to change a good thing. I'm probably going to preach it the way you've always heard it, but I thank you, Lord, that your word is living, it's active, it never returns void. Luke chapter 2, verse 8. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Well, we saw that last week with Zacharias and how, you know, he's just doing his thing. And all of a sudden, 400 years of not hearing from God, and bam, there's an angel with him in the, in the most holy place. And, and I just want you to think for a moment, as I said last week, I think sometimes we're so familiar with these stories that, that we really we miss the impact of an angel appearing. Can you imagine how startled he must have been? Uh, we've read this so many times. We've heard it. I've heard it since I was a little tiny girl doing Christmas programs in the church, always wanting to be Gabriel. Did you not want to be Gabriel? Uh, I wanted to be Hotsy Totsy. I wanted to not just be Mary. I, I wanted to be Gabriel. I stand in the presence of the Lord. Did you not? I wanted to be Gabriel. So we've heard this story forever, and, and here is an angel again, and we just want to read right over that, but behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. Can you imagine those shepherds are just going about their day, doing their own thing, and, and, and I said to the people I preached to this week, this was before iPods, this was before iPads, this was before magazines or radio, what were they doing? Watching their flock by night. Can you imagine how bored they must have been? And then, bam, an angel of the Lord appears and the glory of the Lord shines around them. No wonder they were terrified. I love last week we talked about Zacharias and how the fear of the Lord took possession, or the, that fear took possession of him. Not fear of the Lord, but fear took possession of him. And I challenge some of you to look at that this week and say, am I allowing fear to take possession of me? Am I allowing fear to take ownership of me? That should not be. There's only one that has ownership of you, and his name is Jesus. Anything else? But God said, I did not give you a spirit of fear. If you have fear, it's a spirit, and it's not from the Lord. So the angel of the Lord said to them, do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy. Anybody need some good news tonight? He says, behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you, and I don't want you to miss that. There is born to you. 
not, not to the world, not to Susie down the street, not to Sam at work. There is born to you personally. This is a personal message. You are not just one of, uh, of, of the world. He is born to you. This is a message to you personally. He is born to you in the, today in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. I just talked to you a bit last week about those 400 years of silence and how I just can't imagine having gone 400 years not hearing from God. I hate to go four hours not hearing from God. But they had gone 400 years not hearing from God. And, and that wasn't so bad. But you have to know that 700 years prior to this story, the prophet Isaiah and the prophet Micah had, had prophesied about a Messiah coming. Everybody know about the Messiah. The Jews are still waiting for their Messiah to come. But, but uh, Isaiah and Michael had prophesied that there was a Messiah coming, that there was one who was coming that was going to deliver his people uh, from, their, from the problem, from, from bondage, from captivity, from, from pain and heartache. And you see, the Israelites, they were living in bondage. They were living in exile. And so the message that one was coming uh, was going to rise up, who was going to deliver them from their enemies, deliver them from this pain, deliver them from captivity and bondage. That was good news, was it not? And so they were waiting now 700 years for this Messiah to come. Who knows that when God says something, he means it. 700 years later is a long time to find out he means what he's going to say. And, and, and so 700 years have, have passed and people were waiting generation to generation would be told there's a Messiah coming. He's going to deliver his people. He's going to set the captives free. Isaiah said the one who's coming and he's going to preach good news. He's got victory and not defeat and, and he's going to set captives free. He's going to release prisoners from bondage. He's going to bind up broken hearts. He's, he's going to take a spirit of despair and give you a, a garment of praise in return. He's going to take the ashes of your life, the mourning. You see some of you have been in mourning for a very long time. The ashes were symbolic of mourning. I was studying a scripture in Isaiah 52 where he says, awake, awake, and shake the dirt from you. Shake the dirt. And that's a picture of being just face down in despair and in heartache and in mourning. You see, some of you are living in that place. Can I tell you that he came to give you beauty for those ashes? Beauty for those ashes garment of praise for a spirit of despair. He wants to make you oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord's for the displaying of his splendor. And, and Isaiah had prophesied that, that this Messiah was coming and he was going to do that and people were waiting. And so when, when the glory of the Lord shone around those shepherds and the angel began to speak and she said, or he said, I'm sorry, he said that there is one coming and he's been born and he is a savior. He is Christ the Lord. That word Christ, it means, um, it, is, it means the anointed one. It is the Greek version of the Hebrew word Messiah. And so those shepherds would have immediately known, oh my goodness, the Messiah has finally been born. We've been waiting forever for this. This is good news of great joy. And so they would have immediately known what that angel was saying. 
they would have known who this Messiah was. And they, the idea that that announcement would come to them, I just love that. You see, maybe you don't understand who the shepherds were. I want you to understand who these shepherds were. You see, this announcement from the angel, that the, the first people to hear about the Messiah being born, well, was not Caesar, the most powerful man of the time. It wasn't the religious elite of the time. It wasn't the wealthy people of the time. It was shepherds. You say, well, Rhea, what's the big deal with it being shepherds? You see, the shepherds, they, they were despised. They were rejected. They, 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 they were the outcasts of society. They were the people who were loners. Uh, they, they were vile. They were unclean and filthy because they lived with animals. And so nobody wanted anything to do with these shepherds. They were, they, they were the nobodies of the world. I, I wonder if there's anybody here tonight that feels like they're the nobodies of this world. Anybody know what it's like to feel alone? You can be surrounded by people and still feel alone. Does anybody know that? I wonder if you know what it's like to, to not fit in and, and to be talked about and being ridiculed. That's what these shepherds would have been experiencing. And, and they were the outcasts. I, I wonder if there's anybody here that's ever felt like an outcast. But, but here's what I really want to talk to you about. I wonder if there's anybody here that knows what it's like to be filthy and dirty with sin. You see, these shepherds would have been considered unclean. They would have been considered filthy and vile. I was date raped, as you know, when I was 17 years old. And I remember that night like it was yesterday. I remember getting in the shower and, and coming home and not wanting anybody to know what had happened to me and turning that shower up as, I could, as hot as I could possibly get it. And getting in and just scrubbing and scrubbing and scrubbing, just trying to get that dirt off of me. I felt so filthy and so unclean. But who knows, it was a dirt that I did not have the power to cleanse. I couldn't do it myself. I needed a deliverer. I needed a savior. I needed one bigger than me. And I would spend the next years of my life spiraling out of control because of that sin against me. And I would then create a path of my own sin that just made me feel more filthy and more dirty and more unclean. You see, this story gets to me every time I read it because I don't know about you. Maybe you were good boys and girls, but, but I know what it's like to feel filthy and dirty with sin. And I love, I love that the message the good news of great joy, because when you feel that dirty, when you feel that worthless, when you feel that defeated and vile, when you feel like you just don't fit, that you are worthless, I'm telling you, you need some good news. And I love that that angel shows up and she says, or he says, behold, I bring you good news of great joy. Today, in the city of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord, a Savior has been born to you. You'll see him wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. Oh, that's what I love too. I love that Jesus was not born in a palace. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He is God incarnate. He, he's left the royal diadem, a place of perfection, a place of beauty. And he came on earth. And not only did he humble himself to come as a man, he humbled himself to be laid in a manger. You say, well, Rhea, what's the big deal with the manger? 
I, I was born in royal, rural Pennsylvania, and there were farms all around my house. And, uh, you know, we would butcher pigs on Thanksgiving. It was the highlight of my whole life to go to my neighbors and help them butcher pigs. And I loved it. And, and so I, I know what a manger looks like. I, I know what it's like to go into a cow barn and see the mangers. They're, they're the feeding troughs. And ha- have you ever seen a cow eat? It's not a pretty sight. Uh, when they eat, they slobber, and, and, and their trough is filled with slobber and food. That's just ugly. It's, it's not good. And, and, and so cows would have been eating in this manger, and, and, and camels. We went to, to, hold the, to Israel last summer, and, and, and there are camels there that you can ride. I don't want to ride them because the thing spits. And, and have you ever seen a camel eat? They eat the same way a cow eats. Slubber, 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 slubber. I don't know about you mamas. Daddies, you might not understand this, but I had some babies. And, and even now, I'll, I'll think about my Tyler, who, who, you know, he was my firstborn. And I didn't want when his pacifier fell on the carpet that had been freshly swept. I didn't want him to put that pacifier back in his mouth. Some of you mamas, you can put it back in your mouth and lick it off and put it right back in it. I couldn't do that. I want a new passy. I don't want that old one. I just, I didn't want him crawling on the floor that hadn't been freshly cleaned. I, I don't know about you, but I didn't want him getting old, Jeremy, my new babies. And here was the Savior of the world laid in a feeding trough. A filthy, spit-filled feeding trough. Oh, anybody there with me yet? This baby born would be born and laid in a feeding trough. Filthy, unclean. You see, I have one of those hearts that he wants to be born into. A heart that's filthy and unclean. And I remember when I first accepted Christ, I thought, Lord, you, you want to be born in me? Do you know what I've done, Lord? Do you know where I've been? Do you know what's been? Do you know how filthy I feel, Lord? It's filthy in here. Are you, are you sure you know what you're doing? Can I tell you, I love that he was born and laid in a filthy, unclean manger. It was a statement from God saying, my son came to save. And he didn't just save the, the religious elite. He didn't just save the cleaned up, perfect people. He came to save the worst of you, the sinners. Oh, aren't you so glad he came to save the sinners of this world? He came to seek and save the lost, the mispositioned. That would be me. That would be you. Sorry. And I love that he was born and laid in a manger. So the angel of the Lord said, a Savior has been born to you. And that word Savior means deliverer or or the one who came to deliver his people. I, I wonder if anyone here needs a deliverer tonight. What strikes me is the people that don't want Jesus are the people who really don't think they have anything to be delivered from or the people who think they can do it themselves. I wonder if you need a deliverer. Do you need delivered from a sinful life? Do you need delivered from a habit that seems to be just unbreakable in your life? Do you need delivered from an addiction? Do you need delivered from anger? Do you need delivered from bitterness? Do you need delivered from a path of self-destruction that you can't seem to get out of? Do you need delivered? I wonder if you need a deliverer tonight. His name is Jesus Christ, the Lord. He said, a Savior, a deliverer has been born to you, and his name is Christ, the Lord. I told you that that word Christ means the anointed one. 
When I look at that, I want to know what he's anointed to do. Why, why did he have to come? And, and the word anointed means commissioned. The commissioned one, the one who's authorized, has come. And, and, and so right away, you just want to know, well, Jesus, what were you authorized to do? What were you anointed to do? What were you commissioned by God to do? Don't you want to know that? You see, here's what we think. We know that a Savior has been born to us. We know that we need saved from hell and get to heaven. Do, do we not know that? Anybody not know that you and I deserve hell? The wages, the Bible says, is, of sin is death. Uh, wages are something you earn. I work at Elmbrook Church. Every week I get a paycheck. I earn wages. They pay me for what I did. <laughs> The Bible says that the wages of sin is death. Uh, you'll get paid for what you do. And that death is eternal separation from God. It's hell. Uh, I know that that's not fun to hear. We don't preach it anymore, but it doesn't change the fact that there's a heaven and that there's a hell, and the wages of sin is hell. But then he says, but the gift of God, oh, hallelujah for the gift. Do you love gifts? I love gifts. I love, it's, my, it's, it's my love language, gifts. I love gifts. And, and the, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. You see, you can choose to earn the wages or you can choose to take the gift. The choice is yours. But he's extending the gift. He's saying, I want you to have this gift. Little Karen, if, if I gave you this gift and I said, Karen, I want you to have this gift, what would you have to do? You'd have to take it. She'd have to take it. She'd have to receive it. She'd have to open it up to make it her own and enjoy it. And you see, God up in heaven is saying, the wages of sin is death. Eternal separation from me. But I got a gift for you, and his name is Jesus. He was that baby born in the manger who came to save you from those wages of sin, who came to save you from hell. And he's extending that gift to us, saying, here, please take it. And some of you have been looking at the gift all your life, and you've been saying, that's really nice. That's it's a beautiful gift. I, I really like that gift, God. It's, it's just, I said, oh, that's so kind of you to, to want me to have that gift. But I don't know. I don't know if I can really take that. Take the gift. And some of you, you've been admiring it, and you think that that's enough. He wants you to take it and make it yours. Receive Christ this Christmas season. Receive him. Don't just look on him. Receive him. Receive him. Take that gift. There's nothing worse than wanting to give somebody a gift. Somebody called me today and said, Rhea, I want to bring you a meal. And I said, oh, I don't need a meal. I'm fine. She said, Rhea, this is my gift. I want to give you a gift. Please let me give you a gift. Please receive it. It offends me when you don't want to receive my gift. I thought, oh, never thought of it that way. Can I tell you, God has a gift he wants to give you. Receive it, dear ones. Receive it. Instead, you receive the wages of sin, hell, death. Take the gift. But, but I think that we live thinking that's all there is. The Savior came, Jesus came in a manger that Christmas morning to save us from hell. That's exactly right. He did. He wanted to save us from hell. That's one of the reasons he came, to save us from our sin. But so often we stop there. How many of you can say, I've received the gift? I want to see your hands. Have you received the gift tonight? You can sit there and you can say, I'm happy. You know, I need to hear this, Rhea. I got the gift. I've really heard you say that far too many times. I got the gift. But you see, we're satisfied there when there's so much more because he's been anointed. He's been commissioned to do even more. 
And we know that because he said it himself a couple chapters over. So the baby's born in Bethlehem. He grows up. He gets baptized. He gets sent into the, the wilderness to be tempted. And then we see he comes out of the wilderness in the power of the Spirit. And look in Luke chapter 4, verse 18. Actually, let's, pass, let's back up to verse 16. So he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. Who did I say 700 years ago prophesied that there was a Messiah coming? Isaiah. He was handed the book of Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord's favor. Then he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. I just bet they were. And he began to say to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. In other words, you've been waiting for this Messiah to come. Let me just quote you exactly what Isaiah told you, that, that this one is coming and he's going to be anointed to preach good news to the poor. He's going to set the captives free. He's going to release the prisoners from darkness. He's going to bind up broken hearts. And guess what? I'm him. Do you just love that boldness of Jesus? See, he trucks in the synagogue and says, I am him. So what was he anointed to do? He said, I've been anointed to preach the good news. Who knows? We need some good news. And, and that good news, it means I, I've been, I have some good news for you that you can walk in victory and not defeat that you don't need to live defeated. Here is the good news. You can be saved from your sin. You don't have to walk a victim to your sin. You can live in victory and not defeat. There's some good news. Some of you need to hear that, that you can walk in victory, that you are not a slave to your sin anymore. He says, I've been anointed to proclaim. That word proclaim means to call forth or call out. I love that because I have a mouth that likes to call forth and call out. And, and he says, I've been told to call forth the, the brokenhearted so that they can be healed. I've been told, told to call forth the captives so they can be set free. I've been told to call forth the prisoners so those prisoner doors can be open. I've been told to call forth the blind so that they can see. And I'm telling you tonight, I'm calling forth the brokenhearted, telling you that that baby born in a manger came to heal your broken hearts. You don't have to stay brokenhearted. I'm calling forth the prisoners, saying it is time. Today is a day of salvation. Today is a day of deliverance. Those doors are going to swing open in the name of Jesus. You don't have to be a prisoner to it anymore. I'm calling forth the captives, saying whatever is holding you, whatever has a grip on you, you don't have to stay captive to it in the name of Jesus. I'm calling it forth. That baby born in a manger came anointed, proclaimed that he is the one who can deliver you from it. And that message hasn't changed. The tense that he uses there, what he's saying is what he accomplished on the cross reaches into us today. It still is effective today. 
He's still healing the brokenhearted today. He's still setting the captives free today. If that isn't good news, I don't know what is. He says, I've been anointed to preach good news to the poor. That word poor means the downtrodden, the disadvantaged, the rejected, the disappointed, the outcast, the unattractive, those who have lived a life of loss. Some of you are sitting here tonight and you have lived a life of loss. They're, they're the forgotten people, but most importantly, they are the ones who realize that they can't do it themselves, who have an understanding that they can't fix themselves, that they need a Savior, that they need one bigger than them, that they can't deliver themselves. I have good news for you. His name is Jesus. Another definition of that poor that just rocks my world. I took this straight from my Greek dictionary. It says, those held back from progress by people or circumstances. I, I want to read that to you again. Those held back from progress by people or circumstances. I, I need to proclaim that tonight. I need to, to call it out tonight that there are some of you sitting here who have been held back by, uh, uh, by progress because of people or circumstances. Your life is not progressing forward in victory. It's not progressing forward in, in life. You, you are stuck because you're being held back by people or circumstances. Something has happened in your life 10, 15 years ago, and it's holding you back from progress. Can I just tell you, I have some good news for you. A deliverer has been born, and he wants to deliver you from that. Week after week after week, I preach over and over to people, to women who know the truth, who know that a Savior has been born, and yet they're still stuck. I'm proclaiming it. I'm calling it forth tonight that you do not have to be held back from progress because of something somebody said or did to you, because of something you've gone through, because of something you did. Let him deliver you from it. Oh, you say, Rhea, is that really possible? You don't know what I've done. Oh, dear one, you don't know what I've done. Why do you think I preach the way I do? Because I've been delivered. I've been set free. And if he can do it for the likes of me, I promise you he can do it for you. I promise you a Savior has been born. And he wants to deliver you tonight. He wants to deliver you. Don't be held back from progress because of something somebody did to you. Don't give them that, 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 that pleasure in your life. Move forward. He said, I've been preached good news to the poor, and, and I've got to get to my notes here. And I've come to heal the brokenhearted. And that word brokenhearted, it means to break, to break into pieces to crush. I wonder if there's anybody here tonight that's been crushed with pain. Uh, brokenhearted, you've heard me say numerous times that that word heart means your mind, your will, your emotions. I wonder if there's anybody whose mind just feels crushed, who feels just burdened and pressed down on, who feels broken because of stuff they've been through, maybe a memory that they have. Can I just tell you that he came to heal your broken heart, that you don't need to stay that way. That word heal means to, to bandage, to bind up, to mend. It's a picture of the healing process. It's a picture of restoring, not just getting by. He doesn't just want you to get by. You see, some of you are just existing. 
you're just existing and, and you're being held back from progress and, and you're being held in, in captivity and bondage. You don't need to stay there. He came so that you could be whole. I love that his name is the Prince of Peace. That, peace, that word peace means wholeness. It means nothing missing, nothing broken. You see, some of your lives are so broken and you think it can't be fixed. Oh, can I just tell you about the Savior of the world? Can I tell you about the one who wants to deliver you? He wants to fix your broken heart. You don't need to stay in that place. See, some of you are in a place of great anger, of great unforgiveness of great bitterness because your heart's been broken, because you've been crushed by the world, because you've been beaten down by the world. Oh, please give yourself a gift this Christmas. His name is Jesus, and let him deliver you and set you free. Let him deliver you. He said, I came to heal the brokenhearted, and that means wholeness. When he says he's the prince of peace, that word shalom, it means wholeness. I preached this in Tampa, Florida a number of maybe last December, and, and I was talking about the Prince of Peace and, and how he, you know, it means nothing missing, nothing broken. And, and this woman came up to me afterwards, and she said, Rhea, you said that Prince of Peace, and immediately I said to the Lord, that's for everybody but me, Lord, because I am so broken. And she said, I heard him say, then give me your pieces and let me be Prince of, the Prince of Pieces for you. Let me put your pieces back together again. Oh, he wants to be the prince of your pieces. Will you let him heal your broken heart? Will you let him set you free? It's a choice. You can stay stuck or you can get free. It's a choice. Every day I see people who stay stuck. I've set before you life and death, he says. Choose. Choose life. He says, I came to proclaim freedom for the captives. Freedom for the captives. That word captive means to be taken, to be conquered by something. And I love that he not only said that he came to, to proclaim freedom for the captives, but he came to set the prisoner free. Who knows that there are two different things between being a prisoner and being captive. A, a captive is somebody taken against their will. They didn't do anything to deserve to be put into prison. A prisoner is somebody who did something. And they deserve it. I, I love that he came for both of them. He didn't just came for, come for the victim. He came for the perpetrator as well. Do you just love that? That he came for the murderer on death row as much as he came for the one he murdered. I don't understand that kind of love. I don't understand that kind of redemption. I don't understand the kind of power that can take a murderer on death row and, and change his heart. Do you just love that that's the kind of redeemer he is? But some of you are sitting here tonight and you're a captive. You've been taken against your will. You're in a prison because of what somebody else did to you. They put you there. You're sitting there angry and bitter. And I can tell it because I can see it on your face. And, and, and you're sitting there angry and bitter because of something somebody did to you. And they put you in a prison of their making. And you feel like you are stuck. You feel like you have no choice but to live in that place. Oh, can I tell you about a Savior who came to deliver you and set you free. You do not have to stay stuck. He came to set the prisoner free. Oh, you see, I understand a prisoner. I understand doing something and getting in a prison of your own making. 
I understand living a life of regret and, and wishing you could undo something that you can't undo and being in a prison because of it, being in a prison of shame, being in a prison of guilt, feeling like you, you, you've done too much. I, I remember sitting on the porch with my brother Ron, and I love my brother so much, and and I remember saying, Ron, I'm concerned. He's an asthmatic, or he had developed diabetes. He had been in the hospital for a lengthy time, and, and his, his health was not good. And I said, Ron, I'm just concerned about you. I said, can you tell me where you are with Jesus? And, and he said, oh, Rhea, Jesus is for good people like you. And, and I said, Ron, come on. You know your sister. And, and he said, Rhea, I've just done too much. And he said, I'm okay with that. And he said, I know what I've done, and, and I'll take whatever punishment I need to take because, Rhea, I deserve it. And, and I said, but let me tell you about a Savior who came to give you what you didn't deserve, Ron. You see, mercy is not giving you what you deserve. Mercy is saying you deserve hell, but I'll, I'll give you not hell. But grace, Ron, grace is saying, I not only will not give you hell, but I'll give you heaven instead. Do you just love that it's not just a God of mercy we serve, it's a God of grace. And I don't care what you've done. Hear me say this, I'm proclaiming it, I'm calling it forth, I'm heralding it as loud as I possibly can. I don't care what you've done, I don't care how bad it is. I really don't care, I've probably done it. I, I just want to tell you I don't care. And neither does my God. There is nothing that you could ever do to separate you from his love. Nothing. Do you know that I pray all the time that God will not just bring the religious here. I want the broken. I want the people who think they've done too much. I want the people who think they're broken beyond repair. Because those are the ones he does his best work in. I just love it. (laughs) Give him your impossibilities. Because with God all things are possible. All things are possible. And precious ones, I'm telling you this with all of my heart and soul. I've got a gift for you this Christmas, and it's the gift of hope that no matter what you've done, I would preach this to a murderer on death row. I don't care what you've done. He loves you. He he, he loves you. He, he loves you. I want to find this scripture for you because it's just so good. I, I just love it. It's, it's from Jeremiah, and it says, oh, Lord, please let me find it. Jeremiah 31, 3. It says God told them, I will never quit loving you and never will. Expect love, 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 and more love. Do, do you just love that? I'll never quit loving you. Try to get me to all you want. I will never quit loving you. Expect love, love, and, and more love. You see, so many of us know a conditional love, a love that says if I'm performing right, a love that says if I'm excelling, a love that says if I'm perfect, then maybe, just maybe, you'll love me. Oh, can I just tell you, put down the striving. I'm studying right now about the rest of God. Oh, Lord, calm me down. I'm studying about the rest of God. It's such a good study for you to do. You see, there's a place of rest in God. Oh, I love that that he created the world, and and the word says on the seventh day he what? Rested. Do you know what that means to me? He was done. I'm sitting down. Going to rest. Nothing else to do. Finished. Complete it. Just going to rest. 
Hebrews tells us to labor, to work hard to get to that place of rest. That, that God wants us to live in a place of rest. I have some stuff going on. Anybody have some stuff going on in their life? I got some stuff. Brian, I got some stuff. And, and sometimes that stuff just threatens to overwhelm me. Sometimes the temptation with that stuff is to say, God, do you, you got this? Uh, this passage that I'm studying in Isaiah 52, uh, he starts by saying to Zion, to us, awake, awake. And, and today I was studying it, and I, and I realized that, that he's repeating what the people accused him of the chapter before. You see, the people's lives were hard the chapter before. Don't let me forget to get back to rest. The, the, the people's lives were hard the chapter before, and they were in exile, and they were in bondage. And forget that it was hard because they were disobeying God. I mean, take that out of the picture. But, you know, they, they come to God, and they say, Awake! Awake! Where are you? You did this for Rahab. You did that. You killed the serpent. Where are you? Are you asleep on the job? Wake up and help us! And then he comes right back at him in, in Isaiah 52, and he says, Awake! <laughs> Awake! I'm not the one sleeping here. I'm not the one sleeping. Wake up. And see, that's what we want to do. We don't want to rest because we want to accuse God of being asleep on the job. You're not managing my life well. You're not taking care of things for me, God. Where are you? Are you asleep? And we can't rest. We strive. Lord, what are you going to do about this problem? I'm really concerned about this. And how are we going to handle this, Lord? And how am I going to pay my bills, Lord? And how, what about my kids, Lord? What about the prodigal, Lord? And there's no rest. Rest, 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 rest. We're busy, 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 busy. Think, 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 think. Are you following me? And there's never any rest. And, and Hebrews tells us that there's a place of rest in God. And, and what I'm finding out is such a good study. It's a place where, where we can cease striving, where we don't have to figure it out, where we just come to a place and we're like, oh, God, you're so good. You got this one, buddy. I'm, I'm just going to sit here and rest. There, there's a scripture that says, be still and wait for the deliverance of the Lord. Just stand still, Rhea. Just rest and watch me work. I'm so hot, see, Totsy. Just watch this. This is good stuff for you. Uh, this week, Leslie, am I lying? If I'm lying, I'm dying. This week, there's something that Leslie and I have been through hurt us about as much as, I mean, hurt me, especially about as deep as you could ever hurt me. And, and it happened, what, a couple years ago. But it's still been alive in us because we'd be like, Lord, get them good. And he's tied my hand and said, you don't get them, Rhea. I'm going to take care of it. And, and I've been like, when? Speed it up. Are you sleeping? <laughs> Two times this week. Two different times. We weren't seeking it. We had let it go. We were like, whatever, God, we trust you. We trust you, Lord. We trust you. And God brought somebody to us right in front of us us and I'm telling you if we had done it ourselves we laughed did we not get to the car and we laughed to the I mean we laughed belly laughed I can't even believe how good you are God I can't even believe what kind of vengeance you get I can't believe how you took care of that it just like blew my mind and I said the less why do we ever try to get it ourselves? why can't we just rest and just say you got this one Lord I don't know how you're gonna do it 
Take your time if you want to, but you know what? I know you got it, and, and I'm just resting that you got it. I'm not going to lay awake at night. I'm not going to let this thing bother me. I'm not going to try to figure it out. I'm not even going to get vengeance. I'm going to be so sweet and nice, and I'm not even going to let that person know they got me because you got it, Lord. Did he not get it? He got it, and that's a place of rest. God, rest you, Mary, gentlemen. Just rest. Just rest. I got it. Expect love, love, and more love. Do, do you want to just get to that place of rest? Does anybody have any idea where I might have been with that? Rest. You got a deliverer. You got a savior. You got a friend that sticks closer than a brother. You got a redeemer. He'll buy back everything that the enemy tried to take from you. You got a restorer. You got a healer. He says, I want to give recovery of sight to the blind. Here's my favorite because, you know, I, Jesus healed blind eyes, and I believe that he does that. That's, that's no ifs, ands, or buts in my mind. If you brought me a blind person, I'm just going to tell you, I probably spit in their eyes like Jesus did or I, I would pray for them to receive sight just because he's my example he's my model he did it I'm going to repeat it I just believe that's who he is what he does with that is up to him but I'm praying for it and so don't bring me a blind person unless you expect them to probably walk out and see because I've got faith for them to see I'm just going to tell you that I've got faith for them to see I do now where did that just come from there must be somebody with a blind person <laughs> Recovery of sight for the blind. So I don't believe that blind means physically blind there. I believe this whole passage is really about spiritual as well as physical. I, I believe he, 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 he wants to, to, to deliver you from the, the wages of sin. I believe that he, he wants to save you from sin. But I also believe he wants to deliver you from the bondage of alcoholism. I believe he wants to deliver you from, from hatred and bitterness. I, do you see how it has a spiritual and a physical aspect to it? Because if all he came to do was to deliver us from hell, what happens to the, you know, what, at best 75 years in between me getting delivered from hell and going to heaven? How, how do I live then, Lord? What, what do you do for me then? I'm still doing those things, Rita. But he says, I want to give recovery of sight for the blind. Uh, you see, what bothers me so much about this gift is we don't always think we need it. We're blind. I prayed tonight specifically that blind eyes would be open, that you would see your need of a Savior. I, I love that the shepherds went to see this baby lying in a manger and that not everybody came. Not everybody saw that they needed a Messiah. Not everybody knew they needed a deliverer. Their, their eyes were blind. And some of you are sitting here tonight and you say, well, Rhea, you know, maybe a friend brought you and you're like, I, this hell thing, I don't understand it, but I'm a pretty good person. Well, how good do you have to be to stand before a perfect God? Somebody. Perfect. <laughs> I think that none of us in this room qualify. If, the Bible says if God kept a record of wrongs, who in this room could stand? Not one of us. Well, some of you are like, well, Rhea... I don't have a past like yours. you got a really checkered past. Yeah, I do. And I've been delivered. But, but, but see, some of you, 
you, you're blind with self-righteousness. You think, I'm not really all that bad, Rhea. I understand that you need a Savior, but I'm not bad. Let me just ask you a question. Have you ever stolen anything? Now, I'm not talking about shoplifting. I'm just talking about, you know, I, I've told you this before. I, I went into Waukesha State Bank, and I filled out my, my, my deposit slip, and I got in my car, and I had this pen in my hand that said, Waukesha State Bank, and I'm like, ah, I stole their pen. Anybody ever? So what does that make you? A thief. Uh, anybody ever tell a lie? Uh, not, you know, blatant, just what do we call them? White lies. Anybody ever tell a white lie? What does that make you? A liar. And you've heard me give this illustration before, but I just got to tell you, men, just be with me and turn it with your, to your side with this. But I got to talk to the women about this one. Just listen in. Women, have you ever looked at a man? Now, I know you're spiritual. I know you're super spiritual, but just pretend with me a little bit because I'm not as spiritual as you are. But have you ever looked at a man and been like, mm, tasty? <laughs> Sorry, Davey. Tasty. Okay, I, I know that you're not like that, but I have. And so what does that make me? An adulterer. Because the Bible says if you even look with lust in your heart, you're guilty of adultery. Men, you even look at a woman with lust in your heart, you're guilty of adultery. And so that makes me a liar, a thief, and an adulterer. <laughs> the Bible says, it's God's word, not mine, that there's no room in the kingdom of heaven for liars thieves, or adulterers. So find yourself in any one of those, and guess what? The wages of sin is death. You need a gift. And he came for you to recover your sight and see your need of him, to see that you need a deliverer, to see that you need a savior, that you and I deserve hell. If there's anybody that deserved hell, you're looking at her. I deserved hell and he's given me heaven i'm so sure he's given me heaven i promise you if i get killed tonight leaving here absent from the body present with the lord i know that i'm going to heaven and you can know that too because a savior has been born to you and his name is jesus christ the lord but the bible says that no man cometh unto the father except by jesus except by that gift of god his son jesus so if you have not received that gift you need to you need to give yourself the gift of life this Christmas. He says, I want to set at liberty the oppressed. I wonder if there's anybody here tonight that's oppressed. Maybe you are oppressed with depression. Maybe you are oppressed with thinking and thoughts that you wish weren't there. Maybe you are oppressed with suicidal thoughts. Maybe you are oppressed with a thinking pattern that's not good. Maybe you are oppressed by fear. Can I tell you, he came to set at liberty those who are oppressed. He wants you to rest, to rest. Jesus ends this, this uh, scripture that he reads with, and to declare a year of the Lord's favor. Uh, he doesn't end it where Isaiah ended it. Isaiah went on one more verse and said, and a year of the Lord's vengeance, the day of the Lord's vengeance. You see, Jesus let that off. I love that. Because this, my friends, is a year of the Lord's favor. Favor is grace. It's God giving us not what we don't, not what we deserve, but giving us what we don't deserve. It's a year of God's favor. His hand of favor is extended, saying, "Here's the gift." But I promise you, I promise you that the day of wrath is coming. You see, God is a God of wrath. He cannot look. He cannot look down on sin. 
The wages of sin is death. And if you are not covered with the blood of Jesus, if you have not received that gift of God, the day of wrath is coming. It's coming. There's a day that we'll stand before him, before the judge. And we'll give account. And we'll either say, I'm here because I, I received that gift. Or we'll be there saying, I didn't receive it. And the day of wrath will come. You say, well, Rhea, that's a little scary. No, that's reality. But the good news is that this is a day of God's favor. He's extending his arm of grace saying, whatever you've done, I don't care. I want you to have this gift. I want you to have this gift. Will you, will you receive that gift? I'm going to close now. I'm going to ask David to just come and, and just close uh, with us. But I just I want you to know that, that that day of the Lord's favor was the day of Jubilee. In the year of Jubilee, all debts were canceled. <laughs> Slates were wiped clean. Everything that had been taken from them was restored to them. Do you love that? Anybody need their slate wiped clean tonight? Today is the day of the Lord's favor. Anybody had the enemy steal from them way too much? Today is the day of the Lord's favor. Anybody need a fresh start? You messed up. You wish you could do it again. Today is a day of the Lord's favor. Unto you a Savior has been born. His name is Christ the Lord. He came so that you could be free. Will you let him set you free tonight? Will you let him set you free? I'm not going to prolong this, but, but I just need to ask you. I, I, I'm just going to, you know, before I used to do this, close your eyes and raise your hand. I'm not doing that anymore. You either want the gift or you don't. And, and I, I wonder, you see, the Bible says that if you don't acknowledge him before man, he won't acknowledge you before your Father in heaven. I wonder if anybody wants the gift of God tonight. Rhea, I haven't received that gift, but I want to. I, I want that tonight. I've earned the wages of sin, and I want to know, I want to know, Rhea, that I have that gift, that I can rest in the Lord. If that's you, would you just raise your hand? I'm not going to make you come up here. Thank you. Thank you for those hands. We praise you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you for those hands. We praise your holy name, Lord. I'm not going to pull you out. You can put your hands right back down, but, but I just wonder. Have you received this gift? Don't, don't worry about cool points. Here, here's what I hate. Oh, if I raise my hand, what are they going to think about me? Are you going to worry about cool points in hell? You see that the enemy, he wants you to, he wants you to not take this gift, and he's going to do whatever he can do to get you from doing it. Well, I go to church. Doesn't that make me a Christian? Does sitting in a garage make you a car? No. This is what makes you a follower of Christ, to receive Christ as your Lord. And if you haven't done that, please don't leave here tonight without that. Is there anybody else? Maybe you're saying if she asked me one more time, anyone else, just slip your hand right up and, and right back down. You can do it. Maybe your throat is pounding. That's the Lord. He's drawing you. Saying, come on. Here it is. Take it. I want you to have this. Don't let the enemy steal it. 
anyone else? Now I want to ask you, do you need a deliverer? Are you here tonight and you're in bondage to sin? Maybe you're in bondage to an addiction. Maybe you're in bondage to, to anger or rage. It's controlling your life. That's bondage, precious one. That's bondage. Maybe you're in bondage to bitterness or you're captive to bitterness. You know you're bitter, but there's really nothing you feel like you can do about it. It's your lot in life. No, it's not. I know a deliverer. Whatever it is, whatever you feel has more power in your life than you. If that's you and you want to say, Lord, I need a deliverer, I'm going to ask you to step up, step to your feet and just stand up and just say as a statement, Lord, I need a deliverer. Would you just stand? I got to tell you, if this was me and I was sitting where you're sitting, I'd be on my feet because I have not arrived. I got some stuff I need delivered from, things that seem bigger than me. Those of you that raised your hand, that you want to receive that gift, I I just want you to pray with me. And those who have already prayed this prayer, I want you to just join in with us, but especially those who have raised your hand. I want you to pray this from your heart, and and there's nothing special to what we're going to pray. We're just going to say, I want that gift, Lord, and I receive it, and I know I need it. And so I I just want you to borrow my words, and I just want you to, to, to repeat after me. Just say, Lord, I know that I'm a sinner. I do wrong. I deserve death. But I thank you, Lord, for the gift of God this Christmas season, that he was born to die so that I could live. I receive that gift tonight, Lord. And I give you my life. Come and make your home in me. Live in the manger of my heart. And be my deliverer. And Father, I pray. I pray for the people who raise their hand, Lord. I'm asking you. I take that very seriously, Lord. That's not just them raising their hand in emotion. That this is a real deal. That they're receiving that gift, Lord. And I pray right now that by your Holy Spirit, Lord, that you just come and take up residency in the manger of their heart and and the temple of their life, Lord God. And that you would so saturate them with your being, Father. That you would bring such peace that passes all understanding and joy unspeakable. Lord, that you would just rock their world with your love. That they would wake in the morning with just a new sense of life in them. Lord, even right now that they would sense life abundantly. Come to live with them. Oh, Lord God, I pray that you'd bring people alongside of them to disciple them, to raise them up in you, Lord. Get them connected to the church. 
Lord, I pray that the eyes of their heart would be enlightened to the hope to which they're called and the scales would fall off their eyes, Lord God, and that they would begin to see you like they've never seen you before, that your word would come alive to them and that they would have understanding and insight into your word because your Holy Spirit lives within them now. And Lord, for the people who stood to their feet and said, I need a deliverer, I thank you that you're him. Oh, Lord, I am fully persuaded. I'm fully persuaded. Everybody, you're fully persuaded. I am fully persuaded that you are able to do all that you say you can do. And you say you're the deliverer. You say you'll open prison doors. You say you'll set at liberty the captive. That you'll take a garment of despair and put on a, a garment of praise, Lord God. You say that you'll take the ashes of our life. Oh, Lord, there are people living in ashes. They're living in mourning. They're living in despair. Would you give them beauty tonight, Lord? Lord, I believe. I believe that you're able. I just declare and decree over these people. Bondages will be broken tonight in the name of Jesus. That strongholds will be shattered tonight in the name of Jesus. That you are the deliverer. That you are the bondage breaker. That men and women who have lived in captivity most of their life, that today would be the day of salvation. Today would be the day of deliverance. Oh, Lord God, I pray that hope would begin to arise. That despair would have to flee in the name of Jesus. I pray for new life. New life. Breathe breath of life. New life into them. Breathe. No more, Lord. Your word says, I'm going to give you a new name. Not the name that the world has given you. I'm going to give you a new name. I pray for a new name right now, Lord, in the hearts of these people, people who need a new name, that you would whisper, this is what I'm calling you. I'm calling you Hebzibah. My delight is in you. I'm calling you my treasured possession. I'm calling you married. I'm, I'm calling you precious. I'm calling you worthy. I, I'm calling you anointed. I'm calling you chosen. I'm calling you clean. Oh, Lord calling us clean, washed, made new. I pray for stuck people, Lord, to get unstuck in the name of Jesus. For people who have not been able to progress forward in the name of Jesus, that today, today would be the day of deliverance. That whatever's holding them back would be severed in the name of Jesus. I pray for mind patterns, thinking patterns right now, Lord. Thinking patterns. Minds that have been conformed to the image of this world instead of renewed in the truth of your word. Minds, Lord, that need to be purified. Eyes that have looked on things they should not have looked on. Lord, I pray for purity right now in the name of Jesus. I pray that you'd wash Wash away whatever opening they've given to the enemy, Lord. Close that door now in the name of Jesus. And wash and cleanse and renew and refresh. Shame needs to go in the name of Jesus. That was finished on the cross of Calvary. It can't torment anymore in the name of Jesus. Guilt, condemnation, there's no room for that 
in your stable. There's no room for that in your manger. There's no room for that in your secret place. Oh, Lord God, I thank you that that has to go in the name of Jesus. Replace it with peace, Lord, with joy unspeakable. And, Lord, for those who need to rest, for those who minds, whose minds go faster than the speed of light, who they're always thinking, 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 doing, 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 doing. Oh, Lord God, God, rest you, merry gentlemen. Today, you want us to enter into that rest. Teach us to trust you, Lord, that you'll perfect all that concerns us. You'll perfect all that concerns us, that you really do love us. Love, 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 and more love. I just, I just hear you saying, tell them I know. He knows what you've done. You don't have to hide it anymore. You don't have to live in shame anymore. You don't have to wonder what's going to happen when somebody finds out anymore. He knows. Tell them I know, Rhea. I heard you say it. Tell them I know. And he loves you. Can, can I tell you? He loves you. Love. He wants to lift off that shame and condemnation in the name of Jesus. It's a year of the Lord's favor. He's wiping your slate clean tonight. Begin again. Get up and begin afresh in Him. Lord, I'm resting. Knowing that you'll be all you say you'll be. I proclaimed it tonight, Lord. And I'm asking you to perform your word in this place and in these people, Lord. In the mighty and the powerful name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. For more information about Rhea or Snowdrop Ministries, please visit our website at www.snowdropministries.com or call 414-581-8150. We pray God blesses you as you go and live out a fervent life.